Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Action Replay on DCUFM. My name's Sean Breslin. Thank you so much for joining us. Twitch.tv slash DCUFM is where you can find us live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. You can catch up with our uh, past episodes on demand on Spotify, search DCUFM. And as you can see on the screen right there, we're on Twitter and Instagram at DCUFM Sport. Uh, we're excited to welcome uh, Joe Kelly back to the program. He'll be talking later in the show about GAA and the current state of the NBA midway through their season. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, we'll hear from you later, but we'll start for we'll start with the soccer as we usually do. And um, one of the most impressive winning streaks we've ever seen in soccer came to an end this week. Uh, Man City losing the Manchester derby. Uh, 2-0, and United got off to the perfect start. It was um, 30 seconds in, if that, that um, United were awarded a penalty. Gabriel Jesus putting in a fairly typical striker's tackle, I would say. Uh, Fernandez stepped up and put it away. And then City probably had the better of most, much of the open play in the first half. But once United got that second goal courtesy of Luke Shaw, it was just, they they settled down, I think, into the game at that point. And Comer, I, Sean Comer is back, ladies and gentlemen. And I think Comer, it was a blip on the radar for Man City as, as opposed to um, a sign of things to come. But it was, um, it was less of an, it felt like less of an aberration for United. It did feel like that they finally turned a corner because for a long time they were, focused on just not losing these games. This was the first time for a while, I felt, that they came out to win it. And maybe they were um, galvanized by the penalty, but it just, it, it it felt like, from a United fan's perspective, that they'd really kind of turned a corner. Uh, yeah, I probably agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, the penalty probably did galvanize them. You know, going up that early in such a big game will always help a team. And you never know, maybe if they didn't win that penalty, it could have gone differently. But I mean, we can only critique uh, critique United on what we saw. And what we saw was a team that, for most of the game, was very, I think, disciplined was the word to describe them. I thought that they defended quite well. City did get some chances, but they were mostly there to kind of deal with them. Um. I thought that whenever they got four, they looked like they'd scored. They could have gotten they could have gotten two and up, I think, nearly within five minutes. I think Luke Shaw before, of course, he scored later on, got up really high in the city box and he I think he took a right foot shot that was saved by Ederson or went wide. I can't exactly remember, but they could have taken the lead very early on. And I mean this was uh, finally a game a big game where United, you know, didn't seem content with a draw. They kind of Played to win the game, you know, because that's been the big criticism criticism of them that year is of this year is that um you know when they played Chelsea and Arsenal away, they tend to play teams more on the reputation than on current form, and they usually are disappointing in these games. But no, all credit has to go to them for the performance on Saturday on Sunday. Excuse me, I think that Solskjaer put together a solid enough game plan. His record against Pep Guardiola now I think is four wins, two draws, and one loss, which is which is, you know, um, an exceptional record. And I think it's better than any other manager in club football has against Pep Guardiola, which, you know, that's a nice little uh, title to have. Um, but yeah, and, and, and on City, I mean, they didn't take 
they didn't take their chances, but they very could have easily had a few goals. But, you know, and like I said, United did deserve the game. But I would agree that uh, this is probably just a blip for City. And I don't think this is a sign of things to come. You know, these losses happen. And especially when you're in the middle of a very long winning streak, you know, they can only last so long. And City proved that. But no, all credit has to go to United. And I think in particular, Dean Henderson had a good game. I, you know, he set up the counter-attack for that second goal, you know, with a quick throw that would remind me of what Alisson would do when Liverpool were playing well and whatnot. So, yeah, a lot of positives to take from that game for Man United. Something that has long since evolved from a blip to a pretty full-blown crisis is the form of Liverpool. It's now six straight home defeats in the league, the, the most in the history of their club. But this one was particularly galling because it's been losses to teams like City and Chelsea and Everton that have um, that have been dotted through this run, which, you know, losing at home is never a good thing. And losing the derby at home is particularly hard to swallow. But at least they're teams who are at the upper end of the table and really pushing for something. And I, I guess you could say that Fulham are pushing for something too, but they're pushing to stay away from relegation. So this is a team that I, I was talking to someone and he said that um, this was the game probably at the start of the season that Fulham looked at with the most trepidation, thinking, oh no, we have to go to Anfield. And I mean, the it was weird because the performance of Liverpool wasn't outright bad, I thought. But w- once that goal went in, you thought, yeah, Fulham could probably and probably will hang on here. And that's not the sort of thing that you'd expect from any sort of Liverpool team, let alone a Liverpool team who won the title last year. Even a Liverpool team that's been going through this downturn in form. And I remember Jamie Carragher called them mentality midgets, which I think might might um, be fairly accurate because... It, it does feel like they they were in a habit of winning last season, and now it does feel like they're in a habit of losing, Comer. Yeah, I probably agree with that character assessment. It's been a debate among Liverpool fans on Twitter where um, whether character is right to call out the team or not, but I think he's he's dead right. You know, Liverpool for the last two years, and I think most people would agree, were in a situation where even if they were losing going into the last 10 minutes of games, you still expected them to win. You know, there was the derby win over Everton, Two seasons ago, the infamous Origi winner. There was the Newcastle game that year. It was, you know what I mean? They were a, a team that, you know, were never beaten, you know, which culminated itself in the second leg of that Barca semi-final. But uh, it's just, it gets to a stage now where wherever they're down, you don't expect them to come back. There was even points this season where you would never, you know, count them out until the final whistle blew. And it's funny because not too long ago, we thought this team was probably going to coast to another title after they bet Crystal Palace 7-0. But since that Crystal Palace game, it's been absolutely shocking for them. They haven't won a home game since that game. They've only scored one goal from open play uh, since that Crystal Palace game at home, uh, which was against West Brom, who aren't exactly, you know, uh, a good team. And yeah, it's evolved from a point where it looked like an initial blip that could be gotten over with maybe just a win here or there to a stage where you'd be really concerned now about this team moving forward. And all I am is a Liverpool fan because they, 
you know, I don't I don't think this team is going to get top four, if I'm being honest, which is going to be a big loss to the club's revenue, which is going to affect their, you know, their ability to sign big players in the summer. And, you know, I'm, I'm still not sure I'm sold on the whole slight rumours that are out there that Klopp might leave. You know, I'm still... I wouldn't want him to leave anyways if anyone's going to rebuild this team or at least put together a new squad to go again next year. You know, I'd want it to be him. He's got so much credit in the bank among Liverpool fans that, you know, I don't really know what he has to do for people to want him gone. But I mean, it's it's not a conversation, I think, that should be considered ludicrous anymore that maybe on his own accord he decides to walk because who knows, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes, you know, and only a few months ago, this would have sounded like a ridiculous thing to say, but maybe he doesn't get along with the owners as well as people think he might. Maybe, you know, there's news breaking today that Joachim Lowe is going to leave Germany after the Euros. He has expressed his desire in the past to manage Germany. Maybe he wants to go and do that because he, you know, he doesn't owe the club anything. You know, if he wanted to leave, I wouldn't blame him for that. I'd probably point the finger at the owners. But, or whatever it is, maybe there's something between him and the players. And it's really hard to put your finger on because, like I said, this was a team that, even at points this season, have looked like their typical good self. But it's gotten to a stage where they're a complete shadow of the team they've known to be under the Klopp era. It's interesting that you mentioned Joachim Lowe because I was going to mention that. And um, he's been in charge of the Germany team for a very, very long time. And it did feel like it was coming to the time for him to walk away. Um, I know that Germany haven't been great these last few years, particularly in the 2018 World Cup. But, you know, he's got a World Cup winner's medal on his resume, so you could hardly call that a failure of a stint. And I was initially going to protest, well, not protest, but uh, try and counter your argument that Klopp could join Germany because who would replace him at Liverpool? And then I remembered there is a certain Scouse manager that has recently proved his managerial credentials uh, up in Scotland. Now, we talked about the yawning chasm between Rangers and Celtic on last week's show. And uh, this weekend, that chasm was made insurmountable. Rangers have won the Scottish League, their 55th league, I believe. And... um, Congratulations must be given to them because, like we said last week, considering where they came from, the bottom of the leagues, they've worked their way back up and they're probably deserving of this win. So do you think this is a harebrained theory that Steven Gerrard becomes manager of Liverpool now next season if uh, Jurgen Klopp does go to Germany? Uh, Unfortunately, yeah, I think that would happen now. I have said already that ultimately I think, you know, cooler heads should prevail at Liverpool. And Klopp should stay because even I suppose the one thing, um, if they don't have Champions League football next year, is that the guy does have a lot of pulling power. So maybe even without European football, he himself is able to pull players to Liverpool. That would be interesting to see what would happen. But if he goes, I think Jared would become the favourite to take over. And I wouldn't love the appointment at all. Now, I think Jared has shown the makings of a good manager in the making because. You know, you mentioned the job he's done at Rangers. You know, Rangers were a bit of a joke when he took over. And now they're the champions. They've stopped Celtics 10 in a row. And they're even doing well in Europe. Their goal difference both in Europe and domestically is absurd. And, you know, that's down to Jared. I think he has done a really good job there. But, I mean, if you're looking at hiring him as your next manager, if Klopp does somehow walk in the summer, 
you really have to look at what just happened between Chelsea and Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard showed plenty of potential in his first season at Derby. And then, of course, he took the Chelsea job the following year because they didn't really want to go to anyone else. They wanted to go to this club legend, you know, there and now to take over. And it proved to be, at best, a step too soon for Frank Lampard because, you know, he just got sacked a few weeks ago. And ultimately, it didn't work. And I mean, if you're Liverpool, you have to look at that situation and wonder, you know, well, if we do that, maybe that's going to happen to us as well. Because, like I said, Gerard has the makings of a good manager. But there is a big difference between the Scottish League and the Premier League. And I mean, you know, you, the big the counter-argument to that is, well, he's doing well in Europe as well. At the same time, that's still only the Europa League. You know, you'd want to see him maybe get Rangers to the Champions League group stages or who knows, even the knockout rounds. I'm not sure that's possible. But you'd want to see what he can do in the Champions League, I think, first. And you'd also want to see whether he can actually keep this form up domestically. You know, can he go back and do it a second season? Can he start winning cups as well as that? I think he still has a lot left to prove as a manager. Even at that, I'd want to see him at another Premier League team first before he becomes Liverpool manager. So, you know, if we are going to be in a situation where Klopp does end up walking, I think he would end up taking over. But I can't help but feel that it would be a mistake this early in his career. Uh, Liverpool do have a chance to bounce back this week. They're um, in Champions League second leg action against Leipzig. They have a 2-0 advantage from the first leg. So... They should be a good um, tonic for them before they play uh, Wolves, I think, is their next Premier League game on Monday. But you did say that Liverpool are probably out of the top four race. I would agree with that. The top four race itself is getting particularly tasty because there were wins this weekend for Chelsea, West Ham and Spurs. Uh, Spurs' was particularly impressive against Crystal Palace. Gareth Bale proving that um, he is back, which I think is great for all Tottenham fans to see. And the other team in the mix, Everton, did lose, but they lost to Chelsea, who are they're, they're still in the hunt, basically. Um, just looking at the table here, West Ham, Everton and Spurs are all chasing Chelsea. Um, they're, they're within five points of them, all of them. And they all have a game in hand on, um, on Chelsea. West Ham could... Um, West Ham are, could leapfrog Chelsea with a win in that game in hand. Uh, Everton Spurs, not that close yet, but they're still in the hunt. Um, how likely do you think it is, Comer, that Chelsea can uh, just hold on to that fourth place spot and defy these um, dark horses from making a run at them? It's going to be tough, but I think they can do it. Top four races, you know, we saw it last year, and I remember at the start of Klopp's reign when Liverpool were constantly in top four races before they were, you know, the big tightened that were challenging for teams. Top four races tend to be sloppy because teams, it's as if they're trying to toss it back to their competitors constantly. Points are dropped consistently where they shouldn't be dropped. It gets grim for every team involved because there comes a point, I think, where every team involved thinks, oh, we're not going to get there now. And that's just how it goes. I think that's just the nature of a top four race. It's very different to a title race where you've essentially usually got two, maybe even three teams who don't look like blinking anytime soon, you know, if a title race is happening. Because, you know, there's a reason those teams are competing for top four. It's that they're not consistent enough to challenge for the title. I think that that is also the case this year. But the competition is tight. There's a lot of teams there that you mentioned. But I think I fancy Chelsea to do it, which I couldn't imagine saying a few weeks ago when Lampard was manager. But, you know, I think I said at the time of the sacking that I think they made the right decision. I think the appointment of Tuchel now looks good. 
and you know they bet one of their rivals last night and everything you know everything were kind of have been around that spot all season so to beat a team near you 2-0 and apparently you know I didn't watch the game but it was convincing enough apparently from what I saw and apparently Kai Havertz had a good game you know if Kai Havertz can start living up to his price tag that'll be big for Chelsea going down the stretch because they kind of need that to happen um because he'll give them now something new that they haven't seen yet and you know that could change the you know it'll just change the kind of complexions of that race and I think when you talk about the four teams involved, they probably overall have the best squad, even if they haven't shown it that much this season. Chelsea, you know, on paper, their squad is, I'd say, more talented than Spurs, Everton, or West Ham's. So, you know, and I think Tuchel now has given them a good kind of lease of life. I think he's... The honeymoon period did happen, and whether that'll end, yes, I'm not sure, but I think that... Uh, you know, maybe if it doesn't end, they're going to just keep winning games, and maybe he just he just seems to have more experience in the big games than Lampard does. So I would kind of fancy Chelsea to see it out from here. Uh, we could have a little bit of a shake up because, um, well, it'll probably be shaken up every weekend now till the end of the season. But it does seem particularly interesting this weekend. Chelsea are travelling to Leeds. Everton are hosting Burnley. Spurs have to go to the Emirates, which, you know, Arsenal would like nothing more than to put a massive dent into Spurs' top four hopes. And West Ham are going to Old Trafford to play United team, who probably have their tails up now after beating City. And they'll be coming off as well a really interesting Europa League um, fixture against AC Milan. And I just, I just want to get your thoughts on that as well, Comer, because... It's a clash of two European powerhouses that I would argue aren't at the peak of their powers right now. How do you see this one going? Because AC are there, thereabouts in Serie A, United. On on the surface, they're there, thereabouts in the Premier League, but they're also um, a bit Jekyll and Hyde, as we've talked about in the show many times. It, it's really interesting this matchup. Yeah, definitely. When I saw that the draw was made, I could think back to I think it was the 2007 Champions League semi-finals at Old Trafford, where it was a great game. United, I think, won a three-two, but Kaka lit up Old Trafford that day. And this was when these two teams were in their heyday, where they were competing for the Champions League. Now it's a lot different, you know. They're like you said, they're they are near the top in their respective leagues. But you know, you mentioned the Jacqueline Hyde nature of Man United, which is a very fair thing about them I wouldn't be I wouldn't know too much about AC Milan because I don't follow Italian football that closely but judging by the table they're doing pretty okay for themselves and you know I think that the nostalgia most football fans would like to see AC Milan kind of you know rolling back the years and maybe competing for a big trophy in Europe winning their league who knows so I think that this game is kind of it feels like it's very nostalgia driven because it reminds you of like I said that 2007 Champions League final and their two powerhouses, sleeping giants, might be the word kind of for them too. And you know they're two, and you know they're also both two resurgent teams. And you know as inconsistent as United can be, there's talented players who can, you know, make them entertaining on their day. You know Bruno Fernandez being the obvious one there. And another kind of part of this storyline is Ibrahimovic's return to Old Trafford. We'll see, you know, how he gets on against the likes of Harry Maguire and Lindelof at the back. You know, if they can have a good game against him, you know, it'll do a lot to boost their confidence. So, 
I'm not sure how it will go, but I'll definitely be tuning into it, and I think it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, just to go back to the Champions League, and this is the last soccer thing we'll talk about before we move on. Um, the main thing I want to talk about is Barcelona versus PSG. It's a it's a blockbuster clash, but Barca have a real mountain to climb. They're 4-1 down from the first leg, and Barcelona recently uh, elected a new president, and in, incredibly for any fo- for a football club the the president's priority is probably going to be keeping Messi around but this is probably going to be the fourth year in a row where they've had a really ignominious exit from the Champions League in 2018 they blew their lead against Roma in 2019 they blew their lead against Liverpool and obviously last year they were absolutely crushed 8-2 by Bayern Munich um Barring something truly special, which, you know, we've seen Barcelona do before, against PSG, no less, they will be going out of this um, this Champions League on Wednesday night. And just looking at the La Liga table, they, they're still in with a shout, but they're, they're still short of the standards that we've come to expect from Barcelona. So do you think Messi will put up with this? Because I think he's got a year left on his contract. This might be the last year of his contract. Do you see him sticking around? What would it take for him to stick around? I honestly don't know. You know, I can't see him sticking around if I'm being perfectly honest. And it feels like a bit of a sad end for the club's greatest ever player. But in reality, you know, why would he stick around? He doesn't know this team anything. You know, they've probably not helped him, you know, the most when he kind of needed it he's never aside from maybe Pep Guardiola and Jose Enrique and a few other managers there he's never really had I think a world-class manager to work with you know uh, Valverde definitely wasn't that and I mean there, there's such bad PR around Barcelona at the minute you know the CEO getting arrested last week the fact there's absolutely mountains of debt to deal with there off the pitch they're a complete mess and um, you know I when I look at these Barcelona problems, all I can think back to is the Neymar transfer and how bad the PR was around Neymar then. But, I mean, the teammates threw him apparently when he left, you know, and I've mentioned this a couple of times. I'm not sure on this show whether it was on my other show, but the reality was that his teammates were not angry at him at all for leaving, which kind of now tells me that they could see that there was something seriously wrong at the club and that he was right to get out while he could. So... I think that, you know, this has been a problem that has been brewing for a while with Barcelona. These off-the-field problems are now showing themselves on the pitch in the form of, you know, those Champions League exits you mentioned, which I think is going to happen again this week because there's no way in hell I think Barcelona are turning this around. You know, losing 4-1 at home is just crushing. You know, even if they manage to get a couple of goals in this game, PSG have every chance of responding to Mbappe, who's just playing lights out at the minute. So... I think that Messi walks in the summer and, you know, I don't want to scare too many, you know, United or Liverpool fans listening, but Pep Guardiola recently signed that um, two-year extension at Man City. I think it was earlier this season. And there was a talk going around that maybe he signed that with the promise that he could land Messi in the summer. And, you know, that would have sounded a bit crazy not too long ago. But I think that, you know, that's a real possibility that maybe he wants to reunite with Guardiola in Manchester. So... You know, or maybe he goes to PSG. Maybe he follows Neymar there. Maybe he plays with Mbappe. There's a couple of attractive options for Messi now. And Barcelona is not among them. So I'd say that we're probably going to see him play his last Champions League game for the club this week. 
truly the end of an era. Uh, we're going to move on now. We're going to just briefly touch on something that happened in the GAA this week, and this is where we'll bring Joe Kelly in. The GAA laid down a rule uh, that co-captains are no longer allowed to lift trophies together. It can just only be one person lifting the trophy. And Joe, this seems like the most redundant, pedantic, just ridiculous ruling for a very long time because not only is there not much point to it, but it feels like there are so many more priorities for the GAA to focus on as opposed to this. Yeah, definitely. Like it, it hasn't really made sense to anybody, I think. And at first, when I heard it, I thought it might be related to COVID, but it's not. They gave a, they, they, the GAA actually said it's an attempt to tidy up presentations around matches, which I don't get how not having a co-captain living a, a trophy tidies up the presentation. But as you said, there's definitely things they could, they could focus on instead. Uh, Longford already have said they would require a deviation, um, if they won something. So. I think they're definitely going to have to take a take a step back and look at it again, but it doesn't really affect the game, so it's not a it's not a big deal, but it doesn't make sense. The fact, yeah, it isn't a big deal. I agree with that, but the fact that they they decided to devote time to that, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Wexford uh, came out against it. They have um, they have a co captain system. It's Lee Chin and someone else. Uh, you saw that when they they lifted the the Leinster title in twenty nineteen. But I, I do think it's it's completely pointless. And to be honest, what what are they going to do really to to enforce it if if Wexford win another title and they decide we're we're lifting this together? I, I doubt there'll be security streaming down from the rafters to stop them. Um, in the there was the indoor athletics championships this weekend and um, some decent results for the Irish. I want to particularly mentioned DCU's own Nadia Power, who was uh, competing in the 800 metres. She ran a, a really good race on Saturday, but just was unable to uh, to close it out. So uh, commiserations to Nadia, but also congratulations to for, uh, for making it there and doing as well as she did. The Six Nations is back this weekend. Um, Italy versus Wales is first up. Wales will win that almost certainly and set themselves up for a grand slam in their game against France, if France are allowed to play, because obviously France's game against Scotland two weeks ago was uh, postponed because of a COVID outbreak in the squad. They're scheduled to play England this week, no word yet on whether or not they will um, be able to play that game. We'll we'll see, time will tell. And uh, also Ireland are in action on Sunday. They'll be playing Scotland. Uh, and this will be a bit of a level test, I think, for Scotland. They got that win against England, massive win for them in the first week. Uh, they were unlucky uh, against Wales. And then we haven't seen any of them since since the their game against France was called off. So it'll be interesting to see um, how Scotland come into this game. I think they'll have their tails up because they'll be motiva- pretty motivated by their... Um, their, their win against England and the fact that they came so close against Wales, they feel like they probably could have won that game. Um, the UFC 259 was on Saturday night as well, and there was plenty to talk about. Um, in the main event, Israel Adesanya suffered the first loss of his career in attempting to become the fifth two-division UFC champion. 
moving up from middleweight where he is the champion there to challenge the new light heavyweight champion of the world Jan Blachowicz from Poland um it was it was a pretty good fight i i actually scored it for Adesanya but i think i'm very much in the minority there because um Jan Blachowicz took a unanimous decision two judges actually had a 49-45 which i thought were unacceptably wide scorecards but Adesanya's taken this loss in stride uh, and he's got he's got a middleweight division that is full of hungry contenders for him to go back down to. Amanda Nunes uh, proved herself again as the, the best female fighter in MMA history. Just took apart her challenger Megan Anderson from Australia in two minutes. Just And it was, it was almost a gimme fight. It was, it was just, okay, champ, here's another win for your record. And She's still got opponents that she can face, but she's rapidly running out. That's how good she is. But the biggest talking point was in the third title fight where, for the first time in history, a UFC championship changed hands by disqualification. Uh, Pyotr Jan from Russia was defending against the number one contender, Aljamain Sterling. And in the fourth round, um, Sterling was on his knees trying to complete a takedown. And Pyotr Jan just blasted him with a knee. And uh, knees to a downed opponent, if they've got a hand or a knee on the ground, that constitutes a downed opponent. Those are very much illegal. And um, Sterling couldn't continue, according to the doctor. And so he was awarded the win by disqualification and also the championship. And there have been those who say that he kind of opted out of the fight which I think was kind of unfair because he did seem very very hurt and it would have been unwise for him to continue in that state but he hasn't really made things any easier for himself by um the by posting social media um posts that seem as though he's fine and also he's not going for the immediate rematch with Jan which seems obvious and said he's trying to fight the former champion Henry Cejudo and what would be a big payday for him. So we'll just see how it plays out. But I want uh, I want to see that rematch because uh, Jan was winning the fight up until the illegal knee, and so it'll be interesting to see if Aljamain Sterling can tweak his game plan and find out, find out a way to re- to retain in his first defense and win in a in a more convincing and legitimate manner. But uh, the last thing we'll talk about today is um, the NBA, which we said we said we discussed on, uh, last week. Um, the All Star Game was this weekend. Uh, team LeBron won for the fourth year in a row, I think, over Team Durant. But it just made me think when I saw the, that the NBA All Star Game was coming up, it made me think what's happening in the in the season. And um, we've got Joe here, who's um, who follows the NBA very closely, and Joe. I think we should let's start with the with the defending champions, the LA Lakers. How have they been uh, doing in the defense of their title? Um, they've kind of they've been iffy to be honest. Now they they ended the they ended coming into the All Star break after losing six of eight games, and they're easily their best player or LeBron Anthony Davis is um he's he's had an uh, an ankle injury, but with the thing with the Lakers is they can turn it on whenever they really want to. Um, Nine times this year they've been trailing by ten points and they've come back and won the game. So 
I don't know. I think you're just they're they're biding their time till they're till the playoffs, and I think you'll see LeBron take minutes off and then the second half of the season, and wherever they end up in the standings, they're still they're still gonna have a chance of making the conference finals and the NBA finals. Who are the teams that are leading at the moment? Because if you say the uh, the Lakers are a bit iffy and they're not at the top of their game, someone must have you know usurped them at the top of um, the Western Conference and. Um, and obviously, someone must be dominating the Eastern Conference as well. So, um, who's who are the standout teams so far? Well, in the West, it's definitely been the Jazz, even though they've been disrespected the whole season. Uh, the NBA power rankings came out yesterday, and they've been moved down to third in the in the NBA, even though they have the best record. Shaquille O'Neal has just criticised them the whole year. He said their their center Rudy Gobert is overpaid, and Donovan Donovan Mitchell, their best player, he says, can never be good enough to make a to be one of the best players in the league, but they've taken in the stride and they're, they, um, I think they're 27 and nine now. Easily, they're three games ahead of everyone else. And they have the, the easy six man of the year, uh, Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench and he's playing brilliant. So they're kind of a surprise team to be at the top and they have had an easier schedule, but they could easily still finish at the top of the West. And then with the East, the Nets, um, the Nets are actually the 76ers first, but the Nets are rated above them in the power rankings. 76ers have had a great season so far as well. Um, Embiid kind of is leading them. He's having an MVP season and probably will win the MVP because he's he's averaging over 30 points and over nearly 12 rebounds a game. I don't think they have enough to get to the finals, though. They need, I think they'll try to add either Oladipo or Kyle Lowry next year and then they'll make a push for the finals. But I'd say in a seven-game series, the Nets will have their number in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, another team I want to touch on is the Golden State Warriors because they seemed like they were going to be the team that would be the new dominant force in the NBA. And they certainly showed that for a while. They were in five straight NBA finals from 2015 to 2019. They won three of them. But last year, they didn't even make the playoffs. So was that a bit of an aberration uh, or was that the sign of something more to come? And how have they rebounded from that this season? Well, as you know, they lost Kevin Durant to the Nets and um, Clay Thomas is still out injured. Curry's come back from injury and he's, he's nearly an MVP runner. He's averaging out nearly 30 points a game. But if you look at their wins and their losses, they're 9-18 and 18 at the moment. They've, they've been beating the smaller teams. They haven't actually been beating the, the teams that have over 50% win ratio. And I think they're going to drop down further in the rankings when the games return because they have to face the Lakers, Clippers and Jazz straight away. So... They have a long road, not a long road ahead, but I don't see them making the playoffs this year, to be honest. And finally, what is the what's the main difference between the um, the regular season and the playoffs? Because oftentimes, and this is a trend I find a lot in American sports, uh, teams don't um, play particularly well in the regular season, but they do enough to make the playoffs, and then they just come flying out the blocks once the playoffs start. We saw that actually with the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they weren't so great in the regular season in the NFL, but then they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So who who do you think will um will kind of establish themselves as the as the teams to beat in the playoffs once they start? I think the Clippers are there, thereabouts. They're only fourth in the West at the moment. And the thing is they they rest their players a lot. They rest um Kyle Larry and George. And when they when they don't have them, they don't tend to win. Why uh Kawhi Leonard um doesn't tend to play back to backs. He's played a couple this year, but he, he's taken a lot of games off and they don't win with him. But 
when they get to the playoffs, when they have Kawhi Leonard and George there, they could easily be conference finals um, winners or even they should make it to the conference finals. But it's the same with the Lakers. They, they just turn it on when they want to. The, on the East, it's kind of it's already set out. I think the 76ers and the Nets, the top two teams, that probably end up in the conference finals. I think it's more the West that they just they rest their players because they know as long as they're in the playoffs, they'll have a chance of making the finals. Joe, thanks so much for your uh, contributions. And Comer, thanks to you as well for everything you've done. Uh, thanks for having me on, uh, so that's going to do it for this uh, edition of Action Replay. Uh, we'll be back again next Tuesday at 1pm on twitch.tv slash DCUFM. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DCUFM Sport. And uh, on Spotify, you can find all our past episodes. Search DCUFM on Spotify and you'll find us there on the DCUFM page. I've been Sean Breslin. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.